Death and Entertainment Postmortem. All right, we're recording. We got everything plugged in. We got this going. Pippity bop, boom, boom. On June 24th, four acclaimed directors George Miller, John Landis, Joe Dante, and Steven Spielberg take you to another dimension. Disclaimer three people died during the making of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should have them to another to dimension. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dimension that they didn't want to go to, but they were forced to. Yeah. I, I think we talked about this in the original, but. If they like today, if if that happened, they would be promoting that. Like three people died during oh, the yeah. making of this. Mm, yeah, or would they? I don't know. I, legally, I'm not sure. People they are could... sick these days. That might get them into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure they could get away with that though legally. Yeah, and they would really look sadistic. <laughs> yeah. That. Well, I'm maybe I'm thinking of maybe that movie Scrooge, the movie they were making in the movie Scrooge. Like, oh right, <laughs> like, it gave a woman a heart attack, and like, yeah. and like uh, Frank, uh, 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 Bill Murray's character is like, let's promote that, let's put that in the commercial. That actually did happen in the '90s. Not, I think, when things happen to audience members who are watching it that are extreme reactions, yeah. that will get more play than like people dying on set or whatever. But the movie Anaconda, there were people that said there were people dying of heart attacks watching it in the theater. So people were like, holy shit, we can go see Anaconda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so real. <laughs> they got heart attacks out there this big? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this stuff. is uh, postmortem number two. We're covering the Twilight Zone. Kyle has in his hand right now Dorsey Wingo's book, who was the pilot of the helicopter yes. that went down and unfortunately uh, decapitated three actors, two kids and one um, big star. Crushed Renee, the kid. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just think it's so much easier to nah, say decapitated. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no, but the, it's not necessarily them, true. Two of them. Well, were I don't care about that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just clarifying. Renee was crushed. Yeah, but her head was intact. I wanted to mention something about Dorsey Wingo's book. Uh, the title: uh, The Rise and Fall of Captain Methane, Autobiography of a Maverick. The fact that mm. it's autobiography and he calls himself a maverick, yeah, is hilarious. And he calls himself Captain Methane. Captain Meth. That's a, another. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? He's farting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why that title would. <laughs> yeah, and we the, the picture Coming on the back play. is wild. The picture on the back and the entire uh, transcript is um, about the Twilight Zone. Yeah, he looks. We like, have to sell some self-published books here. He kind of looks like Christopher Lloyd a little bit. He's got a Christopher Lloyd energy. He has a very crazy look on that jacket yeah. photo. Yeah. <laughs> why would you choose that photo like, for what? your book? Yeah. Were there any alternates taken? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly <got> not. <laughs> he looks like he wakes up with a hangover, and then they just cut. Kind of, he looks like we could have Bernie's look. You yeah. know, kind of a vacant. He could be dead. He's like, what? I killed three people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not me. Not this face. Yeah. They started to interrogate him as he woke up. So. <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> Any time. Where the maverick. fuck were you? I'm a maverick. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Do you remember that night though? He went around asking. Asking, hey, where's Vic? Yeah, yeah. He was really out of it. Yeah, he says that in the book, too. He uh, starts off talking about all this with the uh, with a quote from Clint Eastwood's character, Will Money, from the Western movie The Unforgiven. It's a hell of a thing to kill a man, to take away all he's ever been, all he's going to be. Oh my and then God. he goes into it. 
<laughs> then he goes into it. Oh, that <laughs> really sets the mood. That yeah. is quite the teaser right there. Did yeah. he have someone helping him write this book, or is he just doing this all on him? Uh, he says it's just him. Yeah, right. Dorsey Allen Wingo. It's actually not poorly written. I think, yeah, I think he probably wrote it. He says in the book, like, writing it was, you know, pretty easy recounting, like, his life story, but he had to go back and lock himself in a hotel for a week to drudge out the Twilight Zone pages. Oh, was well, he like uh, Martin Sheen Apocalypse Now? He's yeah. In, he's in the, t- the tidy whiteys punching mirrors and shit. <laughs> lock himself for a week. This yeah. Is, this is the, oh, the, just the Twilight Zone soundtrack is playing loudly instead of the yeah. doors. Over and over. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he says that, uh, hold on, where is it? What's the what's the juiciest Dorsey Wingo quote you got in there? It's Besides the, that ridiculous one, it would you steal in a quote from he, someone else? He never outright says it, but he pretty much lets you know who he thinks is at fault. He dances around it, kind of. Yeah, the way he describes and the, who is that the guy who set up the fireballs? The guy who set up the pyrotechnics? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say John Landis. No, he's actually pretty protective of Landis, huh? So are you referring to Chamomile? Not Chamomile. The, remember, he's the yeah. guy that uh, struck a effects. deal yeah. and got immunity. He named names. He's yes. a rat. He's Stool a rat. pigeon. It was Chamomile. You're right. James Chamomile. Yeah. He's, uh, he's discussing. He's talking about you know the fireballs heating up the night. Vic charges into the water with the children moving forward toward the opposite shoreline. Uh, pulling a touch more power, I introduced the left pedal. Starting the rehearsed nose left turn, and Dan followed with the spotlight. And then he says, It was then that special effects technician Jim Camomile, for reasons known only to himself and God, no relation to the T, raked one electrified nail across several others that were wild, wired to multiple gasoline firebombs intolerably close to the low hovering helicopter, sending the chopper and 100 odd movie makers and onlookers into living hell. And odd, A-W-A-E-D, not uh, O-D-D. <laughs> 100 odd. Yeah. And three vibrant human beings to their shocking deaths. Jesus. That was quite a colorful way to put it. Yeah. yeah. For reasons known only to himself and God. So, yeah, he clearly <laughs> blames so him. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. that's like blaming Alec Baldwin for the death on Rust. Well, mm. oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but he's blaming him for distracting him, maybe, because he wants to push the blame off of himself. Wingo does. That seems to be a lot of this book is about. Yeah. So who else can you really push it on except for John Landis? Chamomile was the scapegoat. Yeah. He is the one that lit the pyrotechnics. I'm starting to think, uh, but he, at the direction of John Landis, yes, serving at the at the pleasure, pleasure yeah. of Mr. Landis, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, maybe it's uh, you know the the root rot from the uh, you know for the base. <laughs> I guess I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> there were stories though that Landis was a tyrant, as we went over in the so he created this environment on the of. set, yeah. And there was one instance where, so there was scaffolding holding arc lights, and they were starting to sway. No relation to the movie, then, because of all the, <laughs> because of all the wind from the helicopter. And then an electrician expressed reluctance to go up and fix the lights on the scaffolding, yeah, because it was thirty feet above the ground. 
Yeah. Self-preservation. Okay. Yeah. And then Mr. Landis said, quote, is there somebody on the electrical crew who's not too chicken shit to do the job? Yeah. And oh that that's God. the problem. He's creating this kind of like um, toxic environment and they're rushing because they have to get these two kids out. Remember, they had to get them out before it was too late because they yeah. shouldn't have been there that late, those kids. So, yeah. So he's creating this environment where everyone's like, you know, frenetically just trying to put this together. And it's just like, it's not something you should be rushing. And you're, of course, referring to Mika Lee, age seven. Yeah. And Renee Chen, age six. Yeah. <sighs> that working until like, you know, two in the morning or something. Working illegally. We went yeah. all over the child labor laws. And the and petty cash I was used to circumvent cash. that. God. So they're there on set in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. Vic's exhausted. If yeah. you'll remember also, he was afraid to be too vociferous. To director John Landis about his concerns. Yeah. Well, he was in a weird position because he's like an actor that's trying to make a comeback here and he thinks this is going to be his ticket. Then Kyle in the episode said, that's crazy to hear the word vociferous twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah, that that episode meant- was brought to us by the word vociferous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd use it again. Yeah. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Yeah, because it was in the clip, the author of the book Outrageous Conduct, yeah. Stephen Farber, we listened to a bit of an interview, and he said that exact thing about vociferous. It was ingrained in my head, so I just had used, subconsciously yeah, just took yeah, I had used the word vociferous before that like it was my idea hey why not <laughs> yeah uh there's one part too where um there's a cameraman steve lidecker uh goes over to dorsey as soon as he gets yanked out of the helicopter and makes it back to shore uh he says don't worry dorsey i got the whole thing on film and i didn't know when i first read it if he's like telling him that to like calm him down to be like don't worry you're not gonna get in trouble for this or he's like, that was fucking awesome, dude. I got it on film. <laughs> oh, my God. Like it's jackass or yeah. something? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Um, and he was, he said he was screaming, what the hell happened? And there was a, an urgent voice from the nearby Escape from New York movie set pleading, go home, everybody. Please go home. So th- everyone was just running and getting the fuck out of running. there. Running? Because no one wanted to be like a witness or something? Yeah. Because I remember that girl, she drove like three hours back to, what was it, like El Segundo or something? Yeah, the, <laughs> the script coordinator. Yeah, yeah. supervisor. She's like, I'm fucking out of here. And she recalled that in retrospect, that wasn't such a good idea that they all leave right away. Yeah. Because they were traumatized. I know. They just all went their separate ways and had to deal with it in the moment alone. Yeah, I think maybe they thought the the more people stick around and talk about it, the more trouble the studio would be in or something. Well, yeah, legally, yeah. The, the, if the lawyers are in charge, yeah, everybody disband. Get they out all of here. get on the same page. Yeah, so they figure it's better to have all these kind of different accounts, so no one even no one really knows what's going on, and yeah. no Pe- one's talking to each other. People who were working on a different movie were running, Escape from New York. They're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Oh my god. Really? They were leaving too. Yeah. Dude, this must Wait, be a hold on. Horrific scene. What do you mean escape from New York? Literally there's another movie being shot they're, nearby? Yeah, they're filming right across. Really? There's, yeah. There's other studios. Yeah, it's uh this is Indian Dunes Ranch though. Yeah. At in the wee hours of the morning. Right. Hmm. I didn't know there was a Yeah, there's like a different parallel, locations. Uh, 
movie set going on at that. We got to go check it out. Yeah, still. we have we to check that out. It's yeah. going on the tour. Yeah, that's going yeah. on. <laughs> the premium tour, you'll get Paul Walker's death in Santa Clarita. Yeah, and yeah. And the Indian Dunes Ranch. Yeah, yes. we'll take you. Where this accident happened. Some far and then we'll drive. all go to Six Flags after. Yeah. And Boca de Beppo. <laughs> and Boca de, well, I, get, well, I, get, I need my Boca de Beppo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you'll recall, the NTSB report said the cause of the accident was the detonation of high-temperature special effects explosions that were too near to the flying helicopter, leading uh, a foreign object to damage the one rotor blade. And then also there was heat delamination, causing the helicopter to crash down. Yeah, they eventually completely found that it was just the delamination that did it. That was enough for it to spin out of control. Right. Um, and it wasn't, they said it was a, either a piece of bamboo or something. He talks about it in the book and he's like, it wasn't the bamboo. <laughs> it was the delamination. So these are just lawyers trying to point it in opposite directions yeah. everywhere else. It was interesting because he got thrown in an ambulance with um, the other people from the helicopter. They went to the hospital and then, you know, a few hours later, they, they sutured him up, whatever. He was getting um, released and then he went back to the the actual scene and talk to like police there and NTSB and he said he regrets doing that because he hadn't slept for 24 hours and he's like giving these statements he said the statements were used against him time after time after time oh, in the yeah. in the um you got to get a lawyer right away even if you're 100% innocent yeah you got yes. a lawyer up yeah that's what it seems like the uh the people knew at the um you know, people who are screaming to leave and go home. It's like they know if you stick around and talk to people, you're just going to get yourself or that's probably else why. Yeah, you're going to make a statement you wish you you hadn't. Yeah, that's why even in the um, the nine one one call with the uh, the Rust movie set, it seems like that woman didn't want to talk about anything. She was yeah. just like a woman shot here. We got two people shot. And they're like, what happened? She's like, I I can't discuss that. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. She's willing to talk about everything else except yeah. what actually happened. I know. That She's is bad-mouthing the AD. And oh, yeah. Complaining about her lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that, motherfucker? These, these are people just concerned about their careers. Their own yes. career. That's all themselves. they care. Themselves. Yes. Their career and themselves. And, like, yeah, that's, that's just what happens. Did we talk about... In the episode, um, one of the police officers that kept showing up that originally came to the scene, he had a family, and then he would show up to this trial and, like in tears almost every day. And Dorsey Wingo found out that the police officer actually lost his kid as the trial was starting. His kid drowned in his uh, pool, and so this was like all hitting close to home for him. That like you know, two kids died in the water, or whatever. So Dorsey ended up shaking his hand and saying, you know, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened to your child. And he started crying and told him, listen, the DA is going to try to cut you a deal if you uh, flip on Landis and all them. And so he sat through the whole trial knowing that without telling anybody that he could have flipped on them. 
Well, why didn't he though? Yeah, because he, I think he was he felt so indebted to John Landis. Really? Yeah. Did Landis ever give him a job or like do anything else for him again? Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. The cr- actually the craziest part about this, the chapter before the Twilight Zone, he's talking about how he worked on different TV shows and stuff, and there were multiple instances where, when he was working, uh, they were using multiple helicopters and one of the other pilots like came through an alleyway in a helicopter and they were sending up like cork making it look like um rocks that were like exploding or whatever and like full smoke and he said he was temporarily blinded for like three seconds inside the alleyway and still like got out and there was another time when they had these two fighter pilots chasing each other in helicopters and then one of the helicopters failed and the guy had to make a crash landing in L.A. And it's like, dude, if anybody knew the dangers of what they were fucking doing, it was this guy. <laughs> the- That's insane. So are you saying that he's more culpable now? I think that he-, he knew that it would be dangerous. I think he had a false confidence because he got away with so much shit that yeah. he was just like, this is what we do, baby. We this fucking run job. and gun. <laughs> Which is not normal. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I'm sure those movies he was making or TV shows, they're yeah. like ridiculous. Like, yeah. It's not worth the risk of life. No. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said in one of them, this dude went into a, they were flying around a, a skyscraper and then one of the engines failed and this dude just free falled into the, almost into the ground. And he said, if it wasn't for his like expert piloting, he would have clipped a fence as he was going down and fucking just killed people on the ground, killed himself. <laughs> so <laughs> sick. He was a uh, war pilot or something, right? Wingo. Was he ever involved in a war? He was, yeah, they called him Captain Methane. Captain Methane, yeah. I don't know if he was the in Maverick. the war, but I know he did a lot of like um, meta flights or whatever. Yeah. And after the Twilight Zone thing, he was saying that you know he was questioning his sanity. <laughs> yeah, his foray into uh, you know the movie business. Why would he question his foray into the movie <laughs> yeah, business? <laughs> it went so well. Yeah. He's only uh, been involved with the death of three people. Yeah, he just said he loved photography and movies and TV and entertainment oh, and stuff, okay. and so he wanted to... It, he reminds me of like the Danny McBride character from Tropic Thunder, you know, just a guy like <laughs> on the edges of like being a, a hard-ass, but like kind of still involved in movies and stuff. Yeah, it's a tough one because he was doing his job. And Chamomile shoots off the pyrotechnics, hits the helicopter, yeah. and it's out of his control. But yet, he's the pilot. Yeah. yeah. Andy glosses over that they, they found empty beer cans bobbing around in the wreckage. <laughs> we discussed that in the episode. Yeah. yeah. And we also discussed that in court... He gave a rambling testimony and (laughs) pondered, why didn't Vic just get out of the way that Dorsey said that? Yeah. Oh, God. Stayed there to be hit by the helicopter. Was he like Neo in the Matrix? He could just like dodge a fucking (laughs) helicopter blade coming after him? It's just someone full (laughs) of regret, you know, basically blaming the victim. Yeah. Like, you caused all this. Why didn't you just walk two feet over? I think Wingo, maybe that's why he didn't give up Landis, because he does feel culpable on, on some, some level. I think so. Yeah. You'd have to. I think he was a little bit buzzed, too, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> the beer cans definitely were consumed by him. I just he just leaves Or somebody else in the helicopter. In the heli- I don't know. Is there like a frat party going on this helicopter as they're like doing all <laughs> this stuff? Like, what's going on? They're like doing beer balls and shit. And what year was that book written? 2010. Oh, so he flat out stole the Maverick from label John, from John, John McCain. John McCain, yeah, probably. Hilarious. 
it just goes without saying. Maverick is McCain's thing. Yeah, well, in political terms, yeah. It's usually. like saying, oh, I'm the Duke. Yeah. Well, it's also from Top Gun, though, Maverick. Oh. Uh, to play a little devil's advocate here. All right. Uh, it could be involved in Tom Cruise's character from... I stand corrected. From Top Gun, which is coming back in, in the theater soon. It is. Yeah, I'm... Don't give a shit about that. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. I'll give a shit if Val Kilmer shows up all fucked up looking. Oh, oh, yeah. oh Jesus on. Christ. What? Dude. What did I say? Jeez. <laughs> so fucking <laughs> so sensitive. Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> Is Anthony Can Edwards you talk? in the new one? Anthony Edwards? Uh, yeah, I doubt that. <laughs> Wait. Oh, did he die in the first one? Yeah, no, yeah, he did die. Yeah, that I was, don't know. That was Meg Ryan's husband. In I, that. I don't even remember. That's how that, I remember that, was Meg Ryan's husband. In I that. don't recall <laughs> the first Top Gun very well. Yeah, he died. Uh, Goose died. That's why he's all like pissed off. And he's like, I don't even want to graduate. And then he did. Mm. <laughs> Good soundtrack, though. And then at the end, they're like, they, they all graduate from the flight school and they're like, oh, we got we to gotta jump on a plane. The Russians are coming. Or something like that. Setting up the sequel that's going to be 50 years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned Anthony Edwards because, Kyle, uh, I finally saw Miracle Mile. Ooh, yes. Which was a big topic on the pod. Yeah. Yes. Because it was that was originally going to be what Twilight One Zone. One of the segments. The mo- no, yeah. the entire movie. Really? It's going to be this unproduced screenplay, you know, on the blacklist, they call it. Before the blacklist. The screenplay blacklist. No, that's but what I- they call it. Did they, was that there then? Yeah, oh, in they the did? 80s. Yeah. Oh, it just wasn't that. on the internet. Oh, okay, gotcha. And he, If it's not on the internet, I don't know. The director held <laughs> out because he wanted to stand his ground on having an unhappy ending because yeah. it's a apocalyptic story. Yeah, not and to give away the ending to no. it. No, well, it starts movie off. from 1980, <laughs> yeah. whatever. It starts off, you know, being an apocalyptic story. Sure. And finally got made in 1989, and Kyle was just such a fan when it was brought up on the other Yeah, yeah. most terrifying ending to a movie I've ever seen. Disturbing in a way that's just, it psychologically just fucks with me. Yeah, I, I loved it, though. Yeah. Could be a Black Mirror type thing. It felt like that, yeah. Yeah, just but really better. disturbing. But be- I think. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I think so. Hey, whatever, whatever floats your, whatever blows your hair back. But I am glad to have finally the seen helicopter. It. So, jeez, <laughs> thank you for the recommendation. You're welcome. And that director, Steve DeJarnet, Jarnet, he never made another movie again. He was done. Wow. Down. I always look at that like mm, this is an interesting thing. What happened to this director? It's like some people just burn out. I guess I don't know. It was perceived as a money loser yeah and <laughs> that's how they call the back <laughs> you're a money loser and, you're a money uh, loser get out of this town that's basically what happened he was the staff writer on a couple of shows and yeah just never really got it going again back to nebraska you money loser <laughs> <laughs> the money loser express is heading you back to the midwest and you're getting on it. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy <laughs> yeah got rid of down a rail but wow. he did get his movie made yeah, you, he'll always have flick. that. Yeah, yeah, y'all should go check it out. Check it out. Wasn't there a remake too? No, no, no. I'm a liar. No, you, you just liar. You were on a roll there, something Kyle. that wasn't true, <laughs> and then vocalized it. Yeah. All right. So, what else did we not cover in the original episode? To remind people again, there were five defendants on trial for inv- involuntary manslaughter, and that was director John Landis, associate producer. 
George Folsey Jr. Folsey. I said Folsey a couple of times in the episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't uh, correct so, you. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you should have been like, it's Folsey, motherfucker. Poor Folsey. And, oh, wait, where was I? Fucking defendants. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Unit production manager Dan Allingham, of course, Dorsey Wingo, the pilot, and then the special effects coordinator, Paul Stewart. Okay. And they were all acquitted. And do you guys remember the prosecutor? Oh, yeah. yeah. What was that? He talks about her in there. Leah D'Agostino. Yeah, she was real spitfire. Nicknamed the Dragon Lady. The Dragon Lady. By the Alphabet Bomber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you two had no idea who the alphabet bomber was. No, no. Clue. Yeah, well, you laid it out there as if it was common knowledge. <laughs> I found out a little something about the alphabet bomber. Oh, really? Yeah. You want to hear? A little deep dive on the alphabet bomber. Let's hear yeah. it. So he was a, a to Z on the alphabet bomber. A Yugoslavian uh, immigrant <laughs> arrested for whacking off in a dance hall. Hot. And <laughs> the charge then messed up his plans to get a business license so he could open up a dance hall himself. And jerk off in it. Yeah. <laughs> and he was also trying to get American citizenship. So after that incident, he had this vendetta against the government and the judge in the case. You don't tell me not to jerk off. <laughs> I jerk off and I get a business loan and, I, and I, I jerk off in that place, too. And it sounds like a joke, but that's basically what his thing was. <laughs> he wanted to do away with immigration law and have more lenient sex laws. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a bold stance to just kind of come into the country and just have that. Literally. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> What's the reason for your stay here? <laughs> to jerk off in dead house. <laughs> the guy's jerking as he's talking to customs. <laughs> so then he firebombed the house of a judge and two police commissioners, and he burned down two apartment buildings in Marina Del Rey. Really? And then, This all happened in L.A.? Yeah. This guy's a maverick. And then threatened the city with a gas attack. <laughs> this is right out of the Batman. Yeah, this guy's like the Joker. Yeah. Holy shit, he firebombed the Pan Am terminal at the Los Angeles International Airport. Yeah, I'm getting to that. Holy shit. And they found he's that. He's not the Joker, he's the Jerker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my <son> fire. <laughs> a hat bomb was defused at a Greyhound station. A hat bomb? Yeah, and they said. <laughs> They, they, Is that a bomb in your hat? Or are you just happy to see me? Diffused, are you jerking off too, sir? When they defused this thing, they said it was the worst hat bomb they've seen. <laughs> they've seen time. them all. <laughs> a hat bomb. You call that a hat bomb? Yeah, no, can. but they, they, they did say it was scary. The, the, like if it had gone off, it would have been real bad. Yeah, the bomb was on top of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> not, very, not even concealed. It's just like a, an Acme bomb on top of a top hat. <laughs> and let's see what else. <laughs> Holy fuck. On August 6, 1974, a bomb went off at LAX inside a locker, killing three people and injuring 36. And don't laugh at this. A priest lost his leg. 
Jesus. Oh, yeah, I say don't laugh at this. <laughs> well, you proceed to laugh. Well, the way you set it up. Have some <laughs> compassion, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's quoted as saying he wanted to undermine and erode the foundation of Western civilization. Yeah. Wow. One-legged priest, a rabbi, and a, and a Yugoslavian guy jerking off walking to a bar. <laughs> <laughs> to a dance club. <laughs> And I bet you all are wondering how he got the nickname, the Alphabet Bomber. Yeah. He wanted to make an anagram that spelled out Aliens of America. And so he was starting at the beginning going A for airport and L for locker. And eventually he was going to bomb enough places to spell out Aliens of America. Oh, my God. That's ambitious. His name is Murahem Kerbovjovabik. Just... I think they call him the alphabet killer because he has every single letter of the alphabet in his name. <laughs> Except for A, oddly enough. <laughs> so this dude dubbed the prosecutor the dragon lady because she prosecuted his case. In 19- she was just doing her basic job. Uh-huh, in 1980. <laughs> yeah, basically a case you could not lose. I know. God, Alphabet Bomber. This guy is fucking crazy. I just scratched the surface with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot in there. I, well, let's read his book. That's yeah. going to be an interesting one. <laughs> he's still around, too. What do you mean around? Like, is he like, he's doing stand up? He's my roommate. <laughs> he lives yeah. in NoHo. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be at the improv this Saturday. <laughs> he barks for flappers. <laughs> D'Agostino claims that the Twilight Zone case is the only one she's ever lost. Really? Yeah. Wow, so she's like that's her one one that got away from her. One that got away. Yeah. Yeah, Dorsey said she uh, deserves an Oscar for her performances, he would call it. <laughs> well, you got to in that job. You really got to yeah. sell it to the jury. Yeah, she yeah. was very dramatic during the trial saying, "You're not going to see, you know, Vic and the kids walking in without heads today." Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and she had a um a pin that she wore every day that was that said Queen Bee. And that's what she thought she was, was like the queen bee. I'm going to sting you. Oh, oh, I thought man. she had something that commemorated the, the death of these poor people. No, it was all about her. <laughs> the dragon wasn't good enough. She had to be a bee as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. She also kept pictures at her desk of the victims. Oh, okay. So she was thinking about them. Oh, yeah. She'd yeah. kiss them all before she went to bed every night. No, no. I'm talking <laughs> about like the crime scene. Oh, really? Shut up. Uh, yeah. Uh, this specific crime scene yeah. or just in general? Yes. Of her victim, Jesus. Really? Wow. I guess to remind to her herself going, yeah. how horrific this situation well, it's, it's was. Well, it's a mind game to keep your kind of head in the game just to make sure that you're focused on the hate of these people. Yeah. Right. She also used to work for, uh, she was like a Hollywood exec before, I guess. Really? what Dorsey said. Yeah. Okay. I so, don't know much about that period of her life. Yeah. But. She moved right into the uh, the legal business. Maybe she just saw an end, like, I just prefer to do that than be an executive, you know. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to the book Outrageous Conduct by Stephen Farber, Mark Green. One of the stories from that book, <laughs> she hated John Landis. She was the prosecutor, so that makes sense. Yeah, well, she, had, she was getting in the zone. One day, she's in the hallway during a break in the courthouse. And John Landis happened to be walking by as the Augustino was hamming it up for the press. Yeah. She said a, some Yiddish words to a reporter to make a point. Was it like an Israeli newspaper or something? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and then Landis passing by, he's Jewish. Sure. So he's passing by. He jokingly covers his ears, telling her, 
Oi, it's a shanda for the goyim. Like to speak Yiddish in front of him. And that means it's a shame for a Gentile to speak Yiddish like that in front of him. He was making a bad joke. Uh, Which he's known to do. And so as he's walking away towards the elevator, she yells out, murderer! <laughs> really? Yeah. But not even in, in uh, Yiddish, just in... No, in English. full English, murderer. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so she really didn't like the guy at all. Well, what's to like? Well... You know, scumbag. Eddie Murphy likes him, doesn't he? <laughs> Until he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he said he did me a favor. Well, that was all that shit that went on um, on the Coming to America set where they're like, where they're fighting each other and stuff. Yeah. And John Landis quit and left and then he came back. He like slinked his way back in. Yeah. And then the book also talks about an SNL sketch that was proposed at the time where someone's going to be playing Landis and he's nervously awaiting the verdict. And then when not guilty is announced, he jumps for joy and accidentally knocks down a ceiling fan that crashes down, decapitating several spectators. Was this the period of time when they were doing Yoko was Coco for my Yoko? Uh, it was a little bit after <laughs> that. But, but Yoko then, goes loco for my Coco? Yes. Okay. You got it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of something. Let's play the clip. Katie Couric wrote a book somewhat recently, and she had this story to share. At CNN, we worked hard and played hard. One of the anchors hosted an annual Halloween party with instructions to come as your favorite story of the year. My friend Bonnie came as Grace Kelly, who had died in a car crash that September. Hilarious. Bonnie wore a ball gown she'd picked up at a thrift shop a rhinestone tiara, and a steering wheel around her neck that she'd found at a junkyard. Whoa! Jesus. A producer came as Edgy. Vic Morrow, the actor who had been decapitated while filming the Twilight Zone movie. He wore fatigues and what looked like helicopter blades protruding from his neck. Someone else showed up as oh a tampered-with bottle of Tylenol. I know what you're thinking, but we were news people with a twisted sense of humor whose job sometimes required ironic distance. Still, what the hell was wrong with us? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Ain't it a bitch? She's going to be yeah. a guest on the podcast. Yeah. I know. It sounds like she would enjoy <laughs> yeah, bring her in. what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fucked really up, twisted. Though. That's like when Bill Maher wore the Stingray costume after Steve Irwin died. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like a month later or something. Jesus. Another story from the book was uh, Ralph Bellamy, who had a cameo in Coming to America, the actor, and was the star of Trading Places as the villain, an yeah, old okay. Hollywood actor. Yep. He's also one like Dan Aykroyd that supported Landis during the trial. Yeah. Well, on March 30th, 1987, at the Oscars, Ralph Bellamy received a Lifetime Achievement Award. And he had personally requested that John Landis present it to him. So he could slap him? But this was right in the middle of the <laughs> trial. Yeah, he deserved a slap. Wow. Yeah. So Robert Wise, the Academy president, called Ralph to discourage this. So that didn't end up happening. Coincidentally, that same night, Steven Spielberg, producer of the Twilight Zone movie, who pretended like he had nothing to do with it afterwards, even though his name is on it. Of course. <laughs> He received the Irving Thalberg Award that same night. Hmm. And so while John Landis is on trial and making some stupid movie called Amazon Women on the Moon, <laughs> Spielberg's receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award. That night, he said, 
It's time to renew our romance with the word. I'm as guilty as anyone in having exalted the image at the expense of the word. So he's basically trashing some of the stuff he used to do in his career. Now he's going to make great epics like David Lean. Well, he's already getting a um, a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1986. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. That is, yeah, 1987. But still, it's just like, wow. And they say that he, when he made The Color Purple... It received some Academy Award nominations, but he was snubbed for Best Director, and it didn't win any awards. They say that was because of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. And (laughs) E.T. lost Best Picture to Gandhi. (laughs) Never saw Gandhi. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't compare whether or not I should have won over it, so... But I'm sure it was great. But Ben Kingsley plays it. That, that they were both not... starving at one point in the movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> you should go hang out with Katie Couric. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that brings us to an update from Landis. Yeah. He was featured on the Coming to America episode of The Movies That Made Us on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Yes. Which premiered after we did the original podcast episode yep and let's listen to the first clip from that and he's as uh defensive and weird as you would assume yep landis was uh charged by the da's office with manslaughter landis became the first hollywood director to be tried for death on a movie set the tragedy that was horrible but after the tragedy you read that you know it affected my career and i never worked again and i I don't understand why they say that. I made some of my most successful movies after that, but... During the long wait between the accidents and the trial, John directed several movies, and even Michael Jackson's thriller video. But then, in 1986, John Landis, George Folsey, and three other crew members were tried. The trial has been 12 They don't even need to making. name the they others. Yeah. Like Wingo. Some other schmucks. It made headlines for months on end. So, I mean, he's just not convincing there. It doesn't sound like he's that affected by it. No. Yeah. You know, oh, the thing he cares about most is they say I my career was over after the Twilight Zone, but it wasn't. Yeah. I made my most successful movies. And then there's another clip from that same episode of George Folsey, the associate producer that always worked with Landis and was one of the defendants. He uh, talks about it in that same episode. Coming to America was the last movie that I did with John. I've been very lucky that I had the career that I had, and I owe an awful lot of it to John. But going through the whole Twilight Zone issue um, took its toll. It was a very stressful five years, and I, I just kind of needed a break. And in, in some ways, I'm sorry that I that I left, and in other ways, I'm not. And just as Coming to America marked the end of George and John's films, it appeared to do the same for John and Eddie. I went to the premiere, of course, and in the men's room, I saw Eddie, and he didn't say hello. Wow. I didn't see him again for years. I mean, Eddie famously ended up on uh, Arsenio's couch and said uh, John Lannis would have an easier time working with Vic Morrow again. He made that awful joke. (laughs) And after trading some barbs in the press... Their differences seemed truly irreconcilable. 
Well, yeah, they they really had it out on that movie set. They mm-hmm. really just <laughs> like that was you know crazy the, the precipice. And I don't know what was going on exactly, um, but it seems to be that that John Landis was getting involved in like Eddie Murphy's like life and yeah, like, who he's sleeping with, yeah, who's sleeping with, yeah. and like what's going on the set, and it's just. It was very weird, and and Landis was just being very bizarre, and then and uh, he always had his ego, Landis. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I'm I should be hired and, well, for, and to Eddie, direct this. And Eddie Murphy came into it like, dude, I'm doing you a favor. There's like 18 other directors I could use here that haven't, you know, maybe or maybe not killed someone on set recently, <laughs> right? And so why don't I go with them? I, but I'm doing you a favor because I like working with you, and you know, we have this history, and you know, let yeah. me help you out here. They say that in that episode to him. To John Landis, yeah, and he goes, he said that, yeah, he's yeah. so pissed, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, he did, he did, he did respond like that. Yeah. Like, also, in that episode, they go, can you say your name and uh, what you do? And he goes, have all the other directors needed to do that on this yeah. show? <laughs> and they, and they showed clips of like all the other directors, which is like playing ball, yeah, play, plays it. My name's, uh, you know. You know, you name it. I'm J.J. Abrams, but no, whoever it is, yeah. they're like they're happily, you know, just saying their name. He's fucking out of his. He's such a sociopath. Yeah. He's like, I don't I shouldn't have to say my name or what I do here because everyone knows who I am. I'm an international <laughs> star of a director, you know, who not really. Like, don't you know who you think I think I am? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the way he's approaching this. And they're like. The Netflix directors, whoever's doing this, is like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, this is just standard procedure. You're nuts, dude. Yeah. And then in the pod episode, we went through a bit about Max Landis, who went online (laughs) randomly on Reddit saying... My dad still has PTSD from the Twilight Zone. Yeah, he was right. two feet away from it, and he suffers for it. And we'll get to your Max Landis story in a second. <laughs> okay. But based on what his son said, John Landis has severe PTSD from the Twilight he Zone. He doesn't Very show severe. it. Listen to this clip from a horror movie documentary that I found. It's not hard to horrify somebody. If you're gross enough, you'll horrify somebody. If you show a shredded child or a or a dead, you know, mangled corpse or something oozing, you know, you can be horrible. It just <laughs> seems odd to use the example of a shredded child, yeah, as a way you can horrify audiences. Just get in the back when he head, dealt maybe. with that a shredded child. That, yeah, he must have had to look at those bodies up close. Are you kidding? He had to walk over them in the water. You can see someone. I don't know if it's him, but there, someone pointed it out on our YouTube because I didn't notice it before. When they go behind the helicopter and one person jumps back like they just saw. So that's when he found Vic's body. Oh, like really? he like goes, oh, and he, fucking jumps back. Someone and li- lifted up his torso, not knowing what it was. Yeah. Then realizing, oh, my God. I thought it was like a prop or something. Yeah. yeah. Oof. There must have been so much blood, but I think he just blocks it out from listening to him talk about it and like being that defensive and deflective and whatever he is. I think he's just totally uh, fooled himself into thinking it never happened. He didn't do it. And it was someone else's fault. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw Max Landis in person recently and uh, he very much did not fall far from far from the tree. Uh, he was dancing it up, right? Yeah. He wanted everyone to notice him. Everyone. He was looking at everyone in the face, smiling. Look at me dance. Uh, oh and then I took God. a video of him, and he noticed and left. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think they like any uh, attention, good or bad. Yeah, 
um, I well, we did have that that situation in which I was on our uh, our <laughs> death and entertainment Instagram account, and I just jokingly, you know, I, I figure he's a big guy, you know, yeah. on Instagram. He doesn't really respond or look at messages or anything. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> <laughs> the size of his head. <laughs> Wishful thinking. I know. I, I just sent a couple. Vague, uh, <laughs> like th- not, cryptic, not, not cryptic, cryptic kind of things like, uh, you know, um, you know, I, like I, the alphabet bomber. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing like a terrorist or like trying to scare him. There was no jerking off. I was, I, I just said something like, I know you did it or something. It, you you just said it was you. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> something like that. And then he, I didn't know he was going to respond the way he did. And he, yeah. he was very, uh, he did not appreciate n- it. Not appreciate it. Yeah. So. But then he thought better of it. Yeah. And kind of tried to mend fences with you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, sorry about that, dude. You know, um, you know, I've just been dealing with this stuff my entire life with my dad and, and yeah, everything. He goes, people stalk my dad. Yeah. People stalk my my dad and I've been dealing with bullying, so I just want to make sure that we got clean lines and everything's everyone's all cool. And uh, uh, you know, thank you. So <laughs> that was a voice message he left me in, yeah, uh, in, yeah. Uh, on the the die Instagram, and we couldn't believe it. We're like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we're like involved with Max Landis somehow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was yeah. crazy. Interesting that there's so many allegations against him, separate from his dad, of yeah. being a bully himself to people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I don't know. You know, he sounds human there in the way you described him. But yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like he was maybe on something or he just seemed like allegedly, supposedly, allegedly, supposedly. That's that's the feeling I got. Yeah. OK. But, you know, it was a wild start to our death and entertainment Absolutely. podcast because that, that was the was, first episode. It was. Yeah. yeah. Was right at the beginning. <laughs> so we've been sitting on that nugget. Yeah. For a long time. <laughs> Since last August. Absolutely. Okay, so to end this, I have to clear something up. As we talked about in our first ever pop culture flash, the best little whorehouse in Texas was the number one movie when the Twilight Zone accident happened. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, and you told us that quote. Yeah. Very interestingly, originated from Whorehouse, the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that was the original title. Whorehouse, Whorehouse the movie. Yeah. Whorehouse the movie. <laughs> Jesus. And me and Kyle were like, "Oh wow, that's you know that's interesting." We never looked into it. No follow up. Just know, like, yeah, that just sounds cool. Just accepted it pretty okay. much. <laughs> well, you are dead wrong. Whoa! Hey, wait a second. Bombshell. Hold the phone. Not only did it not come from that movie, it's not even in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Semi Sonic is more believable, <laughs> coining the phrase than Dolly Parton for their song "Closing Time." Closing time. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but, but you, can't you can't stay here. Stay yeah. here. We both got the melody wrong. <laughs> Way off. This is an old phrase. Someone said uh, it appeared as early as the 19- hieroglyphics. <laughs> <laughs> As 1944 in the Boston Herald of all newspapers. Oh, hello. that Le- rag. Leave it to Boston to originate this phrase. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, the bums on. that won't leave the bar. Best little house in Boston. <laughs> in yeah. town. We're not leaving. Yeah. Hell yeah. You don't have to go home, mate, but you can't stay here. We can't have you. We can't have you here, Michael, anymore. <laughs> and then by sheer coincidence, you know what movie does contain this phrase? What? 
The Blues Brothers. Oh, I thought you were going to say Twilight Zone. Directed by... <laughs> that would have been a... Directed mark. by John Landis. What? So play that clip. Bum, bum, bum. Well, folks, time to call night. Do what you feel and keep both feet on the wheel. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So till next time. Move them on. Hit them up. Hit them up. Move them on. Move them on. Hit them up. Raw hard. Wow. How's that? That's crazy. Wow. We finally have our answer. We cracked it. Case so <laughs> <laughs> closed. Yeah. I guess I can't say that anymore. That's the whole house in Texas. Had they survived, Mika Lee would be 47 years old today. Wow. And Renee Chen would be 46 years old. And yeah. Vic Morrow would be 93 years old. He'd still be kicking, I think. Yeah. Having lunch with his daughter, Jennifer Jason Lee. Of course. Well, not really. Well, she, maybe she they, was kind of done with him. Maybe they would have mended their relationship. You never if you know. You got his head put back on and, and got <laughs> yeah, <it. she's... laughs> Is that no, what you're saying? I'm Oh, you may, maybe just in general. I thought <laughs> I thought given the tragedy I'm saying he would be ninety three years old. Oh, okay. You know, that implies, you know, that he would have his head. Yeah. My father the head. <laughs> and then finally, I just want to give a shout out to some some of the people that commented on the episode. Molly Ringworm said, <laughs> "Hello, no relation." Wow, this is by far most comprehensive and informed deep dive into this tragedy that I've ever come across. Excellent. I wish that book, Outrageous Conduct, was available in PDF or digital. Would love to get my eyes on it. Then another person said, "I found it in the film section of my university library." And then um, Mr. Spinach wrote, (laughs) (laughs) Renee's mother later died in October of 2012 at age 58, 30 years after the incident. Shout out to Mr. Spinach. And that Mika had a brother named Christopher Lee, no relation to, you know, the vampire guy. (laughs) And that he was going to also be Mika's stunt double. When Mika was too tired or sick to work. Some random facts there, but we, wow. you know, we love all the comments. Keep yeah. them coming. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we do it. This was our first ever episode. Yeah. The Twilight Zone. And this is our second postmortem so far. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But there was, a, you know, there was a lot to cover the first time. And clearly we had a lot to add to it yeah. this time. There's a companion piece to that. So put them together and you get a very comprehensive breakdown of <laughs> the, Twilight the Twilight Zone. Zone. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to say about the Twilight Zone tragedy? Nope. <laughs> Rest in peace, Wingo, the uh, the maverick of our times. Did he die? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think Wingo is still alive. He Wait. must be a hundred. He's by immortal. Now. <laughs> yeah. At least Vic's age, uh, like ninety three. Yeah, yeah maybe. Well, it's hard when it's someone that's not really in the public eye, like Wingo, to find out. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. But he wrote the book in 2010, so, you know, 12 years later, he's probably, you know. I'm sure he's kicking around. Still farting around. Yeah, yeah. Wingo, call us. Yeah, give us a call, please. (laughs) Email us at deathandentertainment at (laughs) gmail.com. All right, be well. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye.